Dear friends in Christ, we take a closer look at that New Testament lesson that we had heard read earlier today. We all like mysteries, don't we? You know, whether it's following a TV series or perhaps a good novel, we like to have our minds stretched and just pushed in directions that are not ordinary or perhaps obvious when you see a situation or event happening. Well, some mysteries take on the nature of our physical world, the world that we live in ourselves. Think about the mystery that scientists have identified over the past century as they try to find the great disconnect with two different views of our physical world. One is described by Sir Isaac Newton, which describes the world as a material thing filled with solid particles that are having revolving motions going around each other. While the other view has been made popular by more modern scientists, and they see that same world as being connected by ghost-like waves that are filled with energy and information. So how can these two views be so different? Or consider the perplexing mystery between the relationship of the human brain and the human mind. The relationship of a material world of organic materials and an immaterial world that's filled with emotions and thoughts. Just how does a physical brain generate non-physical ideas? Or as we go in the other direction, how do our thoughts impact our physical well-being? Consider the deep ministry, too, that begins our Bible in Genesis 1.1. When it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, over the course of six days, we know that six times God said, let the, or let there be, and it happened. And when it came to making man, he said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness. So how does that work? Words are spoken. Invisible words They come forth, and a visible material world is brought into being. Now, if that isn't a mystery, I don't know what is. This mystery is fully acknowledged by mainstream science and scientists as they admit in their words that the evidence points to the fact that the universe appears not only to have a beginning, but it appears to have materialized in an instant with a big bang. They try to say that everything, all matter, appeared all at once out of nowhere and out of nothing. Well, of course, that's not entirely true. For before matter, there was not nothing but something. Before the matter of the universe existed, there was God. That's why it's so important in those first words of Scripture that says, in the beginning, God. God was there in the beginning of the universe. In fact, it's God's existence and his presence on which all of scripture and all of our human history and in fact all of natural history really depend. And to us, this is all very mysterious. We can't explain it. But today, we look at yet another mystery. It's a mystery concerning our profound unity as Christians 
in the face of our diverse ways, our great diversity that we have. We're each unique. We know that. And it's a mystery that is described by the Apostle Paul in that reading in 1 Corinthians 12. And there he goes to impress upon those Christians that are in the city of Corinth that they need to highly value and also jealously guard their unity, their oneness that is in Jesus Christ. To that end, he urges them to guard against jealousies and discords and divisions that could happen within that community they live, especially with those that pop up because of the diversity of gifts that God has given them through his Holy Spirit. Paul calls to their attention that you know, some of them have been given the gift of great wisdom. Others have been given the gift of great knowledge. Others, the ability to heal. And even others, some were given the ability to speak in tongues. And yet all of these gifts, Paul emphasizes, have the same origin. They've been given by the same Lord for the same common good. And he doesn't stop there. So to reinforce this theme of unity in diversity, Paul goes on to apply an analogy. And he compares a Christian congregation to a physical body. He says basically that you know, though a body is made up of many parts, yet together it forms one body, one unit. Now we know, of course, the body is composed of many and varied parts, And our health and our continued existence in this life depend on the proper functioning of every part of that body. How foolish it would be, Paul says, if these various parts would fail to appreciate the unity that they share or fail to realize how integrated they are and must remain in order to function well. Or if they fail to acknowledge either their own importance in the health of the body or the importance of every other part. Yes, he says that some parts are more visible than others, some are more showy than others, and some, they seem to have more important functions than others. But what is equally true, Paul says, is that God, the great designer, has declared all the parts to be of equal worth, to be equally there, necessary for the functioning of the whole. And as a result, God will not put up with degrading marks or actions toward any parts of those bodies. In fact, he says, God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Now, of course, this particular principle of unity does not just apply to our individual physical bodies or to just the body that we know as the church. It also includes the body that we know as community. Here too, God, the creator, says that there are no human members or no members of society there to be considered less than others. No one is to be dispensed with as though they were not part of the whole. Though sadly, that's what many in our contemporary American community now claim. Those who are the youngest among us, those who are yet still unborn, and those who are the oldest among us, and those whose disability or frailty means that they can no longer get around in public or to be, quote, you know, visible to us. 
they would say that these individuals, they're no longer considered to be part of the human community. And the view of many is that those who have not yet become sufficiently useful to the community or those who have ceased to be useful as they once were. They're now thought as to be dispensable, especially if they're seen to impose some kind of burden or cost on society, on others. In this worldly view, these dispensable ones, they say, can and should be aborted. Or on the other end of life spectrum, they should be assisted in ending their own lives at will. That's the type of harsh judgment that is really influenced by the evolutionary claims that worth equals usefulness and that value equals strength. You could say that that's the verdict of those who say, out of sight, out of mind, that that has become their guiding principle. But thankfully, that's not the method that God uses to assess our own value. That's not the guiding principle that God uses to judge our worth. In fact, far from relying on our visibility or our usefulness or even our strength to gauge our worth, God has applied an entirely different method, a standard. And Paul talks about this divine standard when he says, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are in fact indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty. Weakness and dependency, far from being characteristics that would disqualify us from membership in the human community, they're the very characteristics that make us more valuable in God's sight. These are what give us greater worth. To the world, this is a great and awesome mystery that God would hold each and every person to be equal, to be a highly valued part of the whole based on solely their status as a human being. Apart from any ability to do something or to produce or to even compete, that's incomprehensible to the society. Indeed, to the world, to be assigned worth based solely on having been created in the image and likeness of God, that's hard to understand. In fact, to them, it's a great offense. But that's exactly what God had declared. God spoke the world into existence. And by the power of that word, he's given us the ability to think and have emotions and to be able to contemplate that great creation that he made and us being the crown of that creation. He held back nothing, but he sent his divine word to become flesh and blood like us, so that he would give his one and only son to suffer in our place. He's the one who declares each and every person, young or old, weak or strong, seen or unseen, to be precious beyond measure. He's the one who has declared his love for us in the greatest way through the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, he's the one who declares all humans to be a necessary part of the whole. 
an indispensable part of the body. And he's the one who's declared every person to be loved with an everlasting love. Jesus, who himself was in an unseen embryo, he came to life in this world here. And it was him who grew up in a, he had grown up in a small out-of-the-way village called Nazareth, a village unseen by the world. But yet it was Jesus who made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant to be us, to be made in human likeness. And he too has become the indispensable one. He is the one from whom every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And he's the one who looks to us in love. Even when we fail to regard our neighbor as the person of worth that they ought to be, or when we fail to treat them as the indispensable person they are. And Jesus declares us in those times freely and fully forgiven. And that's by virtue of his suffering and death on the cross for our sins, on our behalf. As amazing and awe-inspiring as the mysteries of the world are, you know, this is the mystery that surpasses them all. That God, the creator of the universe, should care and love each of us in our weakness and our vulnerabilities. That the one who spoke the world into existence would care for us, despite our sinfulness and our rebelliousness. That the one who is God, would declare each of us an indispensable part of the body of Christ. That's all a mystery beyond measure and beyond compare. And it's one that we can only give our God the greatest thanks and praise for. It's certainly my prayer that our lives would be able to reflect that kind of thankfulness to our God and also to display that kind of praise. You and I can do so much for him who has done it all for us. Look at which part of the body of Christ you are. Do you think about that? What other parts of the body can you give honor to and build up as we live in that unity of the Holy Spirit? As you think about that, Don't just think, but do something. Take action upon that, because you as that body of Christ, as we are one, we can do things together. Because we have one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he gives us that opportunity each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding, Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, who is your Lord and Savior. Amen.